Hello, hello, and welcome back to another great episode of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana, where you ask the questions and we seek the answers. This is episode 18. I am your host, Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer. I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dana Watts, who is the Director of Research and Outreach. Dana, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Also here with our special guest, who is Steve. Steve, how are you? Doing fine here, Michael. Thank you. And Happy New Year to Susie and Dana and yourself. Happy New Year to everyone. AMA is brought to you by ISS, International School Services. Thank you for joining in as you come in. You will get all you need to know about International School Services. International School Services from Curriculum, DEIJ, Marketing, and HR. Ask Me Anything is a unique educational podcast that allows you to unlock more potential and provides you with a platform that develops yourself professionally. Before we get started today, just a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We can be found on Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Please make sure to visit iss.edu slash events for all of our coming professional developments and also incoming in-person job fairs that we have. And without further ado, Dana, who do we have with us today? We have the amazing Susie March. At ISS, we've been really fortunate to work with her over the past couple of years since the pandemic um, to really look at how do we deliver comprehensive sex education within an international school context, when we have so many different cultures, religions, backgrounds, and values all within one school, and how do we still make sure that we protect and safeguard our students? And Susie has been on the forefront of being able to connect with educators, transition to online learning, and to help students all around the world, and to help teachers figure out how to best navigate a lot of this, which we're all learning as we go along. So we're thrilled to have Susie with us today. Susie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. A happy new year to everybody. Yeah, well, what an introduction. Thank you very much, Donna. Um, I am excited. Um, Ask me, how does this work? (laughs) Well, I'll just get started. Does sexual harassment go for boys and guys, or is it just one gender versus the other? Oh, this is a good start. Just hit me hard with it then. (laughs) Actually, when we think about sexual harassment, for the most part, unfortunately, this is something that happens to women and girls. However, I think it's important that we also realise that males are not, they're not immune to this, particularly as well, and it's forgotten a lot, the LGBT community is also really impacted by this. So something I like to say, though, if you, to answer your question in a bit more full, is that when we think about sexual harassment, we think about women and girls who are impacted by this. And we also, if we think about the males who are are the perpetrators the what we know is that the uh, the majority of men and boys do not go around doing this type of stuff so we've got Stephen we've got you Mike on the call I'm assuming you are people who would call that out and say you know it's not good we, this is no good at all 
However, what we know is that the majority of girls at some point in their lives, so women and girls, will experience some form of sexual harassment. So it's a massive amount of people that are impacted by it, but only a small number of people that are the perpetrators of it. But it takes so many forms as well. So there's, you know, there's the form of just casual comments about about your body. Oh, you've not been making out or something mm-hmm. quite simple like, oh, you've you've gained a few pounds during Christmas. You've been what have you been eating? And all of those types of things are about they're about our bodies and they might not feel very sexual, but actually they can become quite sexual and so they can become quite hurtful. We start to feel inadequate about ourselves and our sexual health is all about our entire body. So if one part of our our sexual being is out of whack, then that impacts on almost everything that we do. So it can make us feel really inadequate and poor about ourselves. So I've answered an awful lot more than your first question there. No, absolutely. um, Hopefully that's helpful. Susie, I don't know if I had a chance to tell you this, but my dad actually used to run training. He started off as a consultant for sexual harassment. And back in like the late seventies, early eighties. And so I've been learning this since I was a little kid. And one of my very first jobs, immediately sexual harassment, like right away, like in the worst kind of way possible to a 16 year old girl. Right. But it's interesting because I think a lot of people tend to think that this is part of like a woke movement, or this is something that's new when actually the awareness of sexual harassment has really been around for quite some time. And it's a shame though, that we still have to even be having this conversation when I think about how long the training has actually been going on and how do we start to switch switch it so that we don't have to be continuously helping people understand how to just be kind. I think you're absolutely right. Is You know, I, I think about the work that I do with schools and um, I don't know if I've spoken to you in the past about the student voice work that I do, which is essentially working directly with students, asking them, you know, what are the issues that you face within your community? So it might not be just within the school itself, but it could be within the the streets. So, for example, I worked recently with a school in Asia where there was there was a a brothel in the street where the children are are leaving the the school. Now, it's fine if they're on school buses or they're being picked up by their parents, but if they're walking to and from school, as many of them do, then, you know, they're potentially being called in, wolf whistles, so it's this cat calling, this come on, and it's not just the girls, it's the boys too. So, they, you know, they're being pulled in as well. And so there's that experience for them. Then I worked within a school in, in Europe where the, the girls were telling me that, you know, when we ride our bikes and we're going to the swimming pool in the summertime, we're constantly getting cat calls. And we just, the question they kept asking me actually, which is really an interesting one is, what should we respond? How mm. do we deal with that? We're talking about girls who are probably 15 years and up, boys too, of a similar age. But I think, you know, when you think about the international school and that diverse culture that they're they're in, so two very different schools, both within inner cities, 
but incredibly different inner cities. And the other thing I was thinking a lot about the, the young people that are walking past the, the sex workers all the time, you know, for them, that's their normal. But when they go off to college or university somewhere else, they're going to think that's normal. But what are their peers in their new lives going to think when they talk about it in that context? So I think there's all of that element to consider. And how do they respond? You know, a response in one country could get you seriously hurt. A response in another country, I'm not sure, you know, it's worth having those conversations with the young people that we have to, whilst whilst it's important to stand up for ourselves and maybe to defend somebody, we do have to be mindful of our own personal safety here too. Mm. So, you know, there's just those very different areas that people, that young people have got to kind of navigate. So, you know, thinking about your father and the teachings that he's done, I wonder if he'd have any good suggestions for us as to how do you, what kind of different conversations would we have and how do we support really these, these young people? And, and the question they kept asking me was, what do I do? What's my response? It's not actually, they're not that interested in how do I stop it? What do I respond? Mm. And I get that so true. And I, so I run and I, and I run often early in the morning by myself and the way I respond and the way, and my own personal feeling of safety depends on the country sometimes that I'm in because of the culture and whether it's a culture that I know I could stand up for myself or others where I feel like if standing up to myself could cause more of a problem than ignoring it and walking away. And so it can depend. It can really change the way I react. But for students to learn how to navigate that, especially our international students, when they travel a lot, they go to other places, um, it's hard. It can be really difficult. And culturally, I mean, I remember the first time I even first went overseas and I got kissed on the right and the left and then my lips. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I was like oh this is just normal like this was so like it was just it was a it was a shift because I had had another man kiss me on the lips and at the time I was married and I was like oh my god I just kissed somebody like I don't kiss anybody else and it was it was different yeah no I think there's all of that element and also you know when you're looking at the cultures within the school not just outside, but there are schools with with so many different nationalities and what's acceptable to one is not acceptable to another. But actually back to, to the question of who does this as well, you know, actually one of the questions I was asked recently by a young person was, how do I know when I've gone too far? So this banter, this banter that they they thought was just a bit of fun, when have I pushed some of the buttons to a point where I'm actually harassing them. And I think that's a really big question too. And one that when when I talk to the young people about it, my feeling on it is if this is meant to be enjoyable for both people. And if you think for one second then the other person is not comfortable or not enjoying what you're saying or doing, then there's something wrong here. And it's at that point where you have to stop and ask that big question, which is, is everything okay? Are you comfortable with this? And that goes for the comments as well. And I think 
I think there's so much grey area for young people. They just they want they want a script. They want also, you know, at what point have I crossed the line? And there isn't any point. I can't give them that. They they need to be able to work out body language, to be able to communicate. And I think that communication is something that they're so good at if they're talking about a history project or, you know, something that is really black and white. But we're talking about feelings and we're asking other people how they feel and whether they like something. It's very different. So it's it's sort of explaining those nuances. I'm actually a bit sad that I didn't get to listen to the session. Is it Cheryl? Yeah, I would have liked to have heard her. So on consent. And I don't know if we're singing from the same song sheet or not. We'll send it to you right away. Yeah, thank you. As a follow-up, yeah, I'll certainly send that to you. But as a follow-up, wanted to ask a question, I guess, kind of being the devil's advocate here, I guess. But in regards to the perpetrator, who is whoever that may be, I wanted to know if you may not have the answer, but is, are, are things being done conscien- consciously? So can a perpetrator become a non-perpetrator? Is, does social and emotional learning, does things of that nature solve a perpetrator's habits? Am I making yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Is there a magic wand that I have? No. No. That's- <laughs> but but is there is there a possibility that we can change people's attitudes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 100%. And if I didn't think that, I wouldn't be bothering. I think we need to, to assume that everyone has the possibility to change. And as I said to you, the majority of people don't do this type of thing, but it is behaviours that are, from a very early age, quite acceptable within our society. And that's something that I think we can't just lay it at the feet of one person who, who is behaving in this way. You know, something's enabled them to do that. And I feel... For myself that, you know, a lot of this training that I do, the opportunity to to deliver that workshop that I did with you on sexual harassment needs to go further. We need to do more with that. We need to be able to to deliver that, not just to those few people that signed up, but to whole schools, to whole communities, to, you know, I often will deliver the same workshop, slightly different, but to parents, because I think if parents aren't speaking to their children and saying to them, do you know what, that isn't okay, or excusing their children, which I've heard often enough, by saying something along the lines of, well, boys will be boys, or they're just messing, it's just banter, it was just a bit of fun, and, and why, are they, why is that person taking it so seriously? It was only meant lightheartedly. So if, if as parents and, um, in fact, educators, we are delivering that message, then what chance is there for the young person themselves to turn up the narrative around? So I think we have a lot of work to do, and we can't just say, look, you, you in the classroom, you're the one we've heard you say that, it's all your fault. It really isn't. It's the fault of us all, and we need to call it out, but not in a way where we're we're finger-pointing or making a person feel that they're special because they're doing that. Actually, we're all capable of, of 
saying the wrong thing. And it's just a question of, of actually changing the narrative. And it starts, I think, in elementary school, you know, when we're, mm-hmm. we're talking in elementary school about gender stereotyping, about excusing these types of behaviours, about not ensuring that we're just picking up on it. Simple things. Let's just pick people up on, on these behaviours from mm-hmm. a really early age. But when it becomes quite ingrained and we've got a young person who's really behaving behaving badly you know actually we can do an awful lot there with peer mediation where we can bring you know young people together not one person saying you know what I heard you say this and I'm going to call you out on it but everyone not ganging up on that one person but actually making a concerted effort to do better to be better to be good upstanders Because as I spoke about in the original presentation, it's about being, you know, the more upstanders we've got, the more people that can can call out this behavior, I think we stand a better chance. Susie, I wonder too, and maybe it's just my lens. So my kids are 18, 21, and 22. But I find the younger generation is far more vocal about standing up and far more vocal than my generation most certainly was. But I see it, especially with the women, the young women knowing how to empower, like if they see something happen, they call it out and support one another. But then I also see it as a mother of two boys. My boys are very conscious of the way that they speak to women and far more conscious than, you know, like I said, my generation. And and to the point where sometimes they're almost nervous to approach young women that they're interested in because they don't want it to look the wrong way and be perceived the wrong way. But I'd almost rather they were more like that than in the way that perhaps I, I grew up. I, I think you make a really good point there. I'll come to the final point, which is this nervousness about, you know, what to say and when to stop. And that's that's something, as I said, I get young people asking me that question. They want to know how to, you know, how to show an interest in, in somebody that they're interested in without it feeling that they're hitting on them. Um, so there's there's this balance, I think, and it's all about education. So we bring it to the, you know, how can we solve this problem? I think with education and it's enabling and facilitating these conversations in our classroom setting will help young people when they leave that to at least know that actually this is how you have those conversations. So respectfulness, you know, I I spend a lot of time in my classes when I'm working with young people and adults, creating a safe space to have these conversations and talking about the things that we say can't be unsaid, they can't be unheard, and we have to be aware that our words can be really hurtful. So if we criticise and call out somebody it can be devastating in a classroom setting and so actually to to move that same behavior into your real life I think is something that's really valuable so I mean I do a lot of work in my classes when there's small group discussions so rather than a whole class discussion you know I'll have them having conversations around how might you how might you tell somebody actually that you don't want to be with them that you you know you quite liked them last week but this week you've rethought it and how do you have those conversations who how do you say that without somebody getting really offended angry hurt or or walking away feeling that they're worthless 
you know, because we don't want any of those things to happen. But these conversations are, are big conversations that have to happen. Steve, did you have something you want to add? Yeah, you certainly had a little story, but uh, you know, where uh, Susie was talking about uh, it's not a fixed line. You have to be understanding of the culture and the moment that you're in to kind of determine where that line is. Like if I'm here with Dana now and say, Dana, you've got great hair today. Well, she'll laugh and say, well, Steve doesn't have any. So that's one of the reasons for the kind of back end of top. But she really does have nice hair. So I would hope she would take that. I know she does. She would, you know, take that in the vein that it's meant. But a couple of weeks ago, I was in a supermarket and a woman and I had a brief exchange over the sale price of a product in front of us. And admittedly, she was a well-endowed woman with this and a low-cut blouse with this beautiful tattoo on her chest. So I made the comment. I said, that is a beautiful, colorful tattoo. Is there a story behind that? And as soon as I asked this question, I went, oh, crap, what did you just do, Steve? And then, thankfully, she, she got into launching a wonderful story, Was a, seemed appreciative of being able to explain her thinking behind that tattoo. But it also could have been a very, very awkward moment for both of us. And before I asked that question, I didn't consider a line. It was just me at the moment. But I think at this point in my life, I, rec- I could recognize, I could read the response and say, okay, oops. All right, that went too far. Have a great day and walk away. Or I met someone I had met before. We had a great exchange. So it's for me now, it's better understanding how to respond. Well, first of all, be a little more careful ahead of time, but also knowing how to read someone's response and body language and from there decide whether to pursue it or apologize or just move on. Well, Steve, one of my good friends and mentors is always about trying to make someone else's day wonderful. And she's like, Dana, all the time you should find something wonderful about a person and compliment them on it. And I do that. But sometimes I'm like, okay, did I go too far? Like, you know, like you look, you know, extra well put together. Like, Like I try to like, but especially like if I'm checking out in the line, like almost always whoever's checking me out, I'll be like, oh, awesome nails or I love your yeah. necklace or whatever. Because I want to try to build people up, but I also don't ever want to cross the line and do something inappropriate while I'm also trying to make, like show someone that I notice them, that they matter, that there's something cool and unique about them so that they feel and acknowledge that you can see them. Thank you guys for that exchange. Uh, as our time went down, I do have one last question that may take a little bit of time. So I'm going to go ahead and ask it, Susie. All right. So you did share a technical guideline in regards to what you should do or how you should put together programs uh, for sexual harassment in the international school settings. I just took a look at that guide. And uh, one of the questions that I came up with is I saw that in On a communal level, there's a few stakeholders that play a role in implementing these programs. And I'm going to go through the stakeholders, but just wanted to know, is there a stakeholder that is more important than the other? And also, like, is there a hierarchy of of those stakeholders? And those stakeholders that I read were community leaders, religious and faith-based organizations, local NGOs, parents, media and other gatekeepers, and health providers. So out of those, is there one that is more important to implementing the CSE programs? Or is there a hierarchy or all of them have to work together for us to put together a more efficient plan to battle sexual harassment? Um, Mike, is this from the UNESCO Technical Guidance? Yes. Oh, phew. Good. Just checking. I, you know, I, my beginning point when I'm working with schools is always to work with the senior leadership team because I feel 
they have to be really clear on their messaging first before they go to ask everyone else. But but everyone has to be included in the conversation. So it's about ensuring that we have got that community buy-in. But I I feel also it's really important that we don't we don't leave anyone out of the conversation. So we keep giving as much information as possible. But the first the first point is for the leaders to decide what they want. So how do we want this school to be? What are we looking for? Are we looking for, you know, a school where we're just picking up the odd thing or are we looking to really, we're going to kind of do our best to wipe this out completely. We don't want to have any kind of sexual harassment or that type of behaviour within our school. And if that is the way we feel and we can link that to our mission, vision and values, then actually we're in a good position to go to our community and the community will consist of everybody. So, you know, you mentioned the parents, the faith leaders, if there are them, but you're looking at the actual faculty who work within the school. So they have to feel that they've um, been consulted on it. Um, We have to think about the students too, because it's just not, we can't just make rules and say right well all of you lot you're going to follow that now but we have to ask we also have to ask the students where is it that this sexual harassment's happening is there a specific area could it be the school bus system isn't very well monitored and that's where a lot of it's happening is it in the toilets that they're you know they don't feel safe there so some kind of structural audit of the school is often needed. So I think there's there's a lot of work to be done with this. But it is quite interesting when I've talked with schools recently about, you know, I've said to them, you know, would you like me, I'm in school working with the students, would you like me to deliver some work to your faculty about uh, sexual harassment? It's the last two schools, and it must be the way I'm saying it, have all thought that I was talking about sexual harassment in the staff room. And I've been quite surprised by that, but it turns out that, so they said, well, no, we don't want it because we don't have any sexual harassment in our staff rooms. So I say, well, fine. It's actually just about the students. It's about how we look after students. But then when I'm delivering the presentation, I often get staff who say, oh, yeah, we get harassed in the, in the staff room. So I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute then. You know, we've got to we've got to address the whole school here. It's not just one area that is a problem. Sexual harassment, as we know, exists everywhere. We'd like to think that it doesn't exist within our schools, but I think it probably does in every element of our lives. And the only way to change this is to be more vocal about it and to talk about it and call it out Donna you're about to say something I can tell (laughs) that's how I tell too um pd session I was thinking about how what we need to do is like create blow up a blueprint of our our schools right and have students and teachers and parents be able to almost like with dots right this is like such a teacher the teacher and me right show where they feel safe but like the color dots represent different things so like okay maybe like you know for lack of imagination red and blue is male female but then also lgbt like different ages different things show where you feel safe and then look where people don't feel safe because that immediately and that visual i think would really help people start to understand you know, do do certain nationalities, do certain um, genders, do certain uh, certain ages not feel safe in certain parts of our building because we could address that, and it would be so easy for us to then be able to see 
and you don't have to point one person out or anything, but if you see that all one color or one whatever is only feeling safe in certain parts of the building, all parts of our building should feel safe for students and for faculty. There is, there is done of absolutely brilliant, but you've talked about something there that ha- is in place, it's been invented. And that is, you'll find the links to all of that in the Padlet that I shared. Yes, so you see, you could you could be part of the Contextual Safeguarding Network. So I don't know if you've heard of that. I did mention it, I think, in my presentation. But the Contextual Safeguarding Network have got audit tools, really, where you can audit your school for just that. You know, where do students feel safe or unsafe? Where do we need to support students? And it goes through a kind of a mapping process where you can map your whole building and campus around if you need to. So, for example, if there are routes home that certain students take, you can map those as well. Yeah, it's brilliant. So it's all about how you can do that. And that's also a network that's free to join. So any school can join the Contextual Safeguarding Network. And as I said, the details are on the Padlet. um, And if they're not, then they damn well should be, and I'll have to take a look. But uh, they essentially it's an organisation out of the UK, out of Bedford University that runs this. And I I would definitely look to see it's all free. Anyone can join and download all the resources on how you can do it. But I think all those details are on the Padlet. Yes. And if you would like that Padlet, you will need to go head over to iss.edu slash events in order to purchase our passport and all that information would be provided to you. Susie, as our time is winding down here, just wanted to make sure I say thank you for taking the time to speak on this uh, very sensitive topic around international schools. Hope that we continue to work together in regards to this topic, as I see it as one that is an issue and it needs to be somewhat resolved upcoming future and such. So just wanted to say thank you from ISS and hopefully in the future we will work together. Just wanted to take this time if you could Please uh, let the listeners know how they can reach out to you, whether it's social media or email, if they wanted any more information. Sorry, yes, you want me to give some info. I was busy typing to Dana. Yes, to contact me, you can go to my website, which is uh, susiemarch.com, or you can email me at susie at susiemarch.com. You can also follow me on Twitter cannot remember the details of that but if you go to my website susiemarch.com then you'll find all the twitter details there and i tweet about new resources and new concepts so yeah worth looking there for sure thank you so much for um allowing me to take part in this thank you this has been amazing all right thank you so much and steve thank you for joining us as you normally do so i'll be winding down our conversation today Thank you. All right. For our listeners, thank you so much. This is the end of episode 18 with Susie. Don't forget to follow our page to receive notifications about new episodes that we release. We release an episode every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in and kindly head over to iss.edu to see any future PDs that ISS is offering in the school year of 23. If you love the show, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget to follow ISS on all our social media platforms. See you next time, educators, on our next episode. Bye-bye.